Hello and welcome back to the WTF1 podcast. It's the 2021 season lineup review, I'm going to call it. My name's Matthew Gallagher. And Tom Bellingham, the resident WTF1 founder, is always here. He's part of the furniture. In fact, he doesn't leave me alone. Sometimes I just want to do a podcast on my own and he just sits there and he's on Zoom already. But that's fine. That's not who I want to introduce the most today. Sorry, Tommy. But presenting newest Channel 4 commentator, Alex Jakes. Alex, welcome. I wish I could do a canned applause for you. Your internet hasn't died yet, which is really impressive. But Alex, it's brilliant to have you on. Apparently you listen to this tripe every time we put it out week on week. But here you are. You're part of it now. Brilliant to be part of it. Brilliant to be here. And this definitely isn't the second take where my internet collapsed the first time. So everyone's a winner so far. (laughs) (laughs) were like that literally the second you took the mickey out of it it froze anyway we will continue we won't talk about it we'll pretend it doesn't even happen Uh, let's dive straight into of course it's a very fruity lineup uh, in 2021 we've got lots of things to talk about the first being Sergio Perez to Red Bull now a lot of people including myself just cast it aside said you know what no this isn't going to happen Red Bull you know, they've got tie backing. There's lots of reasons as to why Alex Albon will stay. He's come through the ranks. He had a few podiums. But then just day by day, week by week, it just seemed like Sergio had a bit more of a chance, didn't he, Tommy? Until he definitely had a chance because he signed the contract. Yeah, I think after every podcast, even though we we tried to avoid it by the end of it, it still was just hanging over. And I guess a top team having a seat free is always such an interesting sort of talking point. And the fact that Red Bull were looking outside their junior program for the first time in ages, I think it's Mark Webber in 2007 was the last time they didn't sort of go with someone in their own stable, um, you know, the Red Bull junior You're a bit team. risky here, Tommy, dropping facts, because, uh, you know, you've got Alex Jakes exactly. here. Exactly. He can call <laughs> me out Happily jump in. But, um, <laughs> yeah, it's been, a, it's been a long, long time since they've done that. And... You know, after every podcast, we're like, that's Alban gone, surely. And then the next podcast, it'd be, no, 100% he's staying. And it, I've, it was so dramatic. It just seemed to change again and again and again every single week. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Tommy basically painting the picture of the entire year there in that it was always hang over a guy who, remember, was promoted in his first full season of Formula One. He had such a whirlwind journey. I'd be surprised if anyone that took the path of Alex Albon was able to perform there. It sounds really daft. So you're either generational tier and you're going to succeed in any machinery at any time. And there are limited drivers that can do that. But then there are good race winning caliber drivers who I think would have taken the same path of Alex Albon, promoted in their first season. You're alongside Max Verstappen. The car is difficult to drive. You've got to be phenomenal in certain aspects of your driving talent. And then when you put that all together with the most scrutiny he's ever faced, Formula 2 scrutiny is fine. It's not the same thing. It's completely different. It's it's a massively expanded... I mean, you are the centre of one of the world's biggest sports. And if it goes badly, it's lonely. It's tough. It's difficult. And in the end, Red Bull, I think, felt they had to take him out of the firing line as much as they felt that they had to sign Checo Perez. Interesting. Uh, George underscore Tucker four says, what sort of performance is Perez likely to bring to Red Bull? How much more might he do than Albon did? This, I find a really interesting thing uh, when we go into 2021 about 
because there's two very two very different paths that could happen. One, Sergio Perez goes there, he performs, he does a Daniel Ricciardo, he's able to to match Max Verstappen in a lot of Grand Prix weekend, maybe a tiny bit slower over the course of a season, but has enough potential to get the podiums, get the race wins. Or we see, and this is something that we can't answer right yet, where Sergio Perez goes into the team, experiences the same struggles as Pierre Gasly, the same struggles as Alex Albon, where he just can't seem to get the car to handle the way he he likes it. It's clear that to see that Max Verstappen has a very specific driving style and that Red Bull have tailored to Max, that, that Max will always be their golden child. It doesn't matter who joins, really, unless Max decides to leave. Um, so in my opinion, it's I think it's more likely going to be the first one. I think Perez has, has proven with the fact, you know, he's been in the sport since 2011. He's driven a lot of different cars and how and different handling cars as well. Um, but it, it it's... It's one to, to watch out for, at least, because that question will not be answered until we get to Australia. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating. If I we get to Australia. <laughs> if we get to Australia this time, yeah. It's going to be fascinating. Albon is no doubt a very good driver. He proved it in Formula 2, proved it in the Toro Rosso. Um, and like Alex said, it's so, it's so true that he's promoted very early. And I think Red Bull just had to go with someone with more experience because Max is in that car. If if you go back to when Red Bull were winning world championships, you had Sebastian Vettel, who was their golden boy, um, essentially. Um, and then you had Mark Webber, who was there with a lot of experience. He could deal with the fact that Red Bull are one of those teams that will back their, their essentially their, their golden boy. You saw it in Turkey when they crashed. They pretty much blamed Webber, even though it was probably Vettel's fault. Perez is a much more experienced driver and a, and I think Albon is a good driver but he just was not suited to that pressure cooker that is Red Bull. Perez is the kind of driver that I feel could you know do well because he doesn't need as much sort of support and he's ha- he's had a lot of experience in Formula One. It's the way that Red Bull manage it. I think he's you know Perez has come from a team where he's teammates to the boss's son and if, you, <laughs> if you're going to succeed in that situation you're probably going to succeed even if you're not getting the right support at Red Bull yeah I think that is a massive plus in the column of Sergio Perez purely because he was able to deal with not getting the upgrades first he knows that he's wandering into someone else's team but it's not a problem if you've just wandered out of someone's team uh, I liked his little jab at McLaren as well when he uh, said, "I'm excited to join a championship-capable team," in the in the in the press release, so he's very very irritated with how it went with McLaren. Then he's waited a long time to get his chance. Uh, he had to go to a had to go to a backmarker, but does he deserve that opportunity hugely? And that is going to be such a fascinating narrative next year to see how he copes within that Red Bull pressure cooker environment. Um, I don't think he's going to fix the problem on a Saturday. Because the strength of Sergio Perez, as we've seen time and time again, is on a Sunday being able to produce results that others aren't capable. Certainly tyre limited races. He's, he's world class at that. But he is going to, it's the experience. It's clearly the experience that they need someone who knows hand, how to handle the setbacks of a McLaren and, and to return to a, what was at the time a, a midfielder team and then to work his way back up. He's stuck with it. Um, he could have easily decided earlier in the year, all right, I'm done. That's it. 
I'm not going to get a better opportunity. This was the best car I was ever going to get in Formula One. He could have decided I'm going to go back. I'm going to spend more time with my family. And I think he considered that for a while. And now this is all a bonus to him. So maybe you can wear that pressure lightly. That's a really good point, Alex. And beautifully segues into our next question, which uh, uh, I have a similar answer. It's from Londoner underscore MB. Do you think we'll see a fierce rivalry between Max and Checo at Red Bull next year? I honestly don't think Checo will adhere to being number two. And I think that comes off the back of what Alex just said. And my opinion is that, yeah, I think we will see a decent rivalry. If Checo is on the pace, he, he won't adhere to number two because this might be his one and only year to potentially challenge for a world championship if Red Bull sort, sort it out for next year and they can actually challenge Mercedes. I don't think they will be able to week in, week out. But hey, we've seen uh, some very strange races this year and we could see a lot in 21 as well. But for me, I, I think Checo will just go full balls to the wall, in my opinion. Much better phrases out there, but why not? I mean, he's he's definitely got nothing to lose. He's he's a, he's a race winner now. Next up is a championship in his head, I'm sure. Yeah, he's... So when he was at McLaren, I remember, I think it was Bahrain, he had got a bit feisty with Jensen Button. And, you know, I think that was only his second or third race. He was straight in there. Um, and Perez, we've known that what we saw with Ocon, um, yeah, he's not he's not willing to give, <laughs> you know, give up on a, on a teammate. Um, the thing is, I think with Perez's experience and what they need is, you know, they had to, they had to risk it that I think even if Perez does get a bit racy with Max a couple of times a season and maybe there's a little bit of controversy at the end of the day if Perez is finishing at the minimum fourth every single race it's still worth it to them because they need someone to be doing that and getting in the mix with the Mercedes when Max is you know even even the last race which arguably was one of Albon's best performances the Max won the race and you need someone there really hustling the Mercedes to get him in the mix. So any opportunity like uh, Sakir or, you know, yeah, like Hamilton gets COVID or they mess up a double stack pit stop, that's when they need to capitalise. And that's what I think Perez will, will bring to them. It's just, like you say, they just, is a risk. I guess the, the, the big risk is that he is on the pace with Max and Max will not be happy having someone that's, going wheel to wheel and uh, sort of trying to ram him off the road. Yeah, I don't think there'll be much of a, a rivalry at all because uh, it's a it's a season for Sergio Perez to pick up the pieces, isn't it? He knows that if he's ahead of Max on track and there's even a hint of a championship battle, they're going to be swapped around. He knows that he's going into that environment. But equally, he knows that if there's a first corner crash and Max Verstappen has retired plenty of times on opening laps of Grand Prix, it's possible that he can take advantage and I think he's got something to prove to himself. Sergio Perez was part of the Ferrari Driver Academy and they didn't they didn't want him in the car. He was part of McLaren. They didn't want him. They got rid of him rather quickly. He's got one final chance to go, I was that tier. I wasn't just a Grand Prix winner, but I was elite tier in the best motor racing championship in the world. And I think he will... He will know his place in the best possible way, if that makes sense. I don't think we'll get um, a repeat of Red Bulls crashing into each other or anything like that. Well, let's clip that up in case <laughs> yeah, it does. I've read it. <laughs> <laughs> and you will hear that next year. <laughs> <laughs> 
I think it's a very similar situation, to, and we'll get on to them, but uh, to Carlos Sainz going to Ferrari. He knows the situation that Charles Leclerc is the, the number one driver there, but it doesn't mean that if Ferrari are on the pace, he won't take advantage of, of any situations that, that come his way. So, yeah, we'll see. It's, uh, it's going to be an interesting one. And finally, on this whole Red Bull pairing, Marco Albanese 18 says, don't you think that Red Bull should have kept Sonoda in F2 for another year and let Albon have his seat? I feel like they are wasting Albon's potential by not giving him a second chance. He could have done what Gasly did this season, in my opinion. Yes, it's a, it's, it's certainly a, a, a decent opinion in the fact that, yeah, OK, we're, they're putting Albon on the sidelines, which will seem incredibly harsh. Uh, and we've seen that Pierre Gasly going from Red Bull to, to Alpha Tauri can, can work dreams. You know, he's a race winner now, which is still very odd to say out loud. In fact, when I was on the F1 Esports Quality Show, I laughed, didn't I, when I introduced him for a hot lap, Alex. But, um, but yeah, I, I think... It was certainly an option to, to put in there, but maybe there was some Honda pressure that we don't know about that, you know, they are still in Formula One at the moment. Um, and maybe there's some, some dealings going on with the fact that Sonoda being there is, is part of that. I don't know. That's just purely speculation. But I don't think it's a bad choice to put Sonoda in, in the Alpha Tauri just purely because they know really what Albon can do. Give Sonoda a chance who is knocking on the door. So I don't think they lose a huge amount by testing Sonoda out for a year uh, and then weighing up in 2022 who deserves uh, to be in Formula One, Albon or Sonoda. Yeah, I'm, I massively rate Sonoda, I think. I'm really happy that he's an F1 uh, next year but it does seem massively unfair to Albon that he, he's probably looking at this going well why does Gasly get to go back to Alpha Formula Tauri? One ain't fair though exactly is it? exactly <laughs> that is that is part of it um you know there's a lot to be thankful for with Red Bull um you know they get I mean, Albon of, wasn't supposed to even yeah. drive in Formula One was he exactly <laughs> um and you've got to think that Red Bull they get a lot of negative press for and understandably so because when they actually get to formula one they mismanage them but what red bull do to formula one is they bring in proper talent with you know where they don't have the money we're always complaining that people with too much money can get into formula one when they're not that good but red bull are bringing in amazing talent and even though they're no longer part of it if you look at the grid you think some of the best drivers in f1 now Verstappen, Sainz, Ricardo, Vettel, they've all come from Red Bull and got them into Formula One and they're still there. It's just the mismanaging of the situation. It's it's a tough one because there's two sides to Red Bull, I feel, where, like you say, people want... You look at George Russell, right? And you saw what he could do in that one race and he's stuck in the worst car on the grid and you know that he could be winning in a Williams but he's not going to get that chance, and they're Win- not going to. Pro- they're not really promoting him until winning in a Williams, Tommy. Or do you mean Mercedes? Sorry, right? winning in a Mercedes. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> that would be good. I mean, he's good, he's but he's good. not that good. He's not that good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, scoring a point in a Williams. Um, no, but you know, people want to see him in the muck because they know he's good enough to win. At least Red Bull essentially promote their drivers up and give them that opportunity. It's just the fact that if you're not a Max Verstappen they will just boot you out at the first second they can. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think it's a fair point to make. I mean, Red Bull have helped so many drivers that wouldn't have made it to Formula One make it to Formula One. I think the frustration that, that some people have felt is that 
when you keep making the same mistakes again and again and again, I always go back to, so my favorite driver ever is Mika Hakkinen, right? Well, Mika Hakkinen took a really long time to win a Grand Prix. He was a podium caliber for a really long time. He was fearsomely quick, but he needed multiple seasons to get his opportunity. When he got his opportunity, he was capable of, of beating Michael Schumacher. I'm not just saying that just to have a dig at you, Matt. Anyway, that's just history. That's just facts. Anyway, the uh, the fact is that some drivers, the great thing about Formula One is that you get people who can come in and do it immediately and are obviously talented. And then you get other drivers who are slow burners and go on this journey. And that is the nice difference. You're never going to get a Mika Hakkinen succeed but if Red Bull carry on the way they've been doing it, you get sink or swim tactics. And I think that's sometimes the frustration. The good news, and there is good news, I think, for Alex Albon, is that whilst he's got this year on the sidelines, I'd be amazed if Pierre Gasly was still with Alpha Tauri into 2022. So I think there is a route there. Um, and the last thing Yuki Tsunoda said to me, said, if I get to Formula One, I want to keep my exciting, aggressive style. And if he does, and that's quick... He's going to win armies of fans because he has learned so much. July 2019, he's adrift in Formula 3. Never been on a Formula 3 podium. He looks like he's struggling with the team and the setup and everything. And then he just learned race by race by race by race. Suddenly, he's the rookie of the year in Formula 2 and he seized his chance. He was being assessed. It wasn't a done deal. It wasn't just Honda won a Japanese driver in Formula 1. He was being assessed at Imola after the race there. He impressed Franz Tost. He's earned his chance. Uh, and hopefully we see Alex Albon alongside him in 2022. Because I think Gasly's going to look elsewhere. He's he's coming to the end of his time with uh, Red Bull. Yeah, it seems as I though, think, anyway. well, there's, there's a few uh, murmurs that it's about potentially him going to, to Renault, which is which is a, an interesting route and whether he'll then replace Ocon and apparently there's beef between those two. So I imagine there'll be even more beef <laughs> if he replaces Ocon. Anyway, that's a completely different podcast. But, uh, but yeah, as you said, it does seem like Gasly is looking elsewhere uh, past 21. Uh, another question on Sonoda at XXYZUZANA or Zuzana. Will Yuki Sonoda fulfill the expectations of Alpha Tauri? And is there a chance that he will be moved to Red Bull Racing in 2022? Or is it just a one year deal for him as he is connected to Honda? I don't know. We don't know. It, it depends on his on his performances. So if he goes to Alpha Tauri and absolutely smashes it then yeah, there is a route to Red Bull Racing. Because as Tommy said, they they look for Max Verstappens. Although I fear that sometimes, well, if Red Bull find two Max Verstappens, that could that could cause explosions. Um, so, well, we'll see. But uh, I think Sonoda has proved enough that he at least has the talent uh, to move to Formula One. Whether it's a little bit early, who knows? But Max Verstappen joined when he was about 11, it feels like. So, you know, there's, there's lots of... Uh, I feel like it's changed now in terms of people's perspectives on young drivers coming into Formula One, especially young drivers going to top teams. It was never heard of, but now you've got Sainz and Leclerc at Ferrari. You know, the times are changing. Uh, so Sonoda has a chance. Uh, and if he is able to to match his, his teammate, then then fair play to him. And, and yeah, then he can be in conversations to, to move to Red Bull. It's a shame, isn't it, that the in a way, going back to sort of Alex's point, that Max Verstappen and Charles Leclerc have essentially ruined it for any other driver to actually be given a chance to develop because there's now this sort of idea in motorsport that if you're not a Max Verstappen and you come in all guns blazing and you're absolutely incredible straight away you're gone um I will just say I think um 
you mentioned this as well, Alex. I'm not, I've seen quite a lot of the sort of narrative around Sonoda being that it's because of Honda, but there's no doubt he's had Honda backing, but I think he's impressed so much more than that narrative. Like for, for me, he was the most impressive driver in F2 last year. He could have easily won the title as a rookie, which we know is extremely difficult when you've got to get used to the tyres and the, the race formats in Formula 2 are a lot different. Um, and I think even without the Honda backing, you know, I, I fully believe he deserves to be in Formula 1. The the worry, it's almost a worry that for me that if he doesn't if he doesn't beat Gasly, everyone's like, okay, fine, you're you're developing. And I think that could almost be a good thing for him. If he beats Gasly, slightly concerned that they might be like, Okay, right, you've beaten Gasly, you're you're better now. Perez is on a one year contract, right, you're in at Red Bull. And then we could see exactly the same thing as Gasly, Alban. And then it's just the same thing again and again. And I really hope that doesn't happen because it shouldn't be the case where if you're not beating Max Verstappen, you, you, you're you not a good Formula One driver. That should not be the case. Coming from yeah, a Verstappen I... fanboy as well, Tommy. That's... Yeah. <laughs> I'm so proud true, of you. Yeah, I think in the middle of all of this, it is worth pointing out that Max Verstappen did extraordinary things with the Red Bull this year. This year's Red Bull especially... Um, at the early part of the season. He, it's just unbelievable, some of the stints that he put together in that car. Uh, as for Yuki Tsunoda, yeah, we don't want to see a situation where another driver does well in their first nine Grand Prix and then found, finds their career unravelling because they're up against a generational talent. If he does well, keep him there. Look at George Russell. George Russell is more than likely going to do three years in a Williams. Last year's Williams, it was it was a long way from Formula One standard. Uh, and the team would admit that themselves. This year, he's had another go. He's had that super sub appearance. Then he's got another full year. He goes in as prepared as he could possibly be. Yuki Tsunoda, I think, would impress people. He's got undoubted speed. That's the that's the thing. So if he can deliver in qualifying where he was excellent, only Callum Mylott had more pole positions in F2. Um, and just huge amount of speed, exciting driver. He's aggressive. Sometimes that hurt him. That hurt him in his championship challenge. Could He'd basically do well in qualifying, score all these major points on Saturday, and then for the reverse uh, sprint race on Sunday, he'd go, right, well, let's just see what happens here. And if he'd been slightly more cautious on a Sunday morning, he could well have been the champion. Either way, he's going to be exciting to watch on lap one and Grand Prix next year. Yeah, I think the likes of Charles Leclerc and Max Verstappen have set a a precedent for every single young driver coming into Formula One that is probably a little bit unrealistic. As we've already mentioned, it takes a little bit of time to bed into Formula One. We've seen the likes of Stoffel van Dorn have his career pretty much killed by Fernando Alonso, and yet we just expect him to, you know, okay, you could have outqualified Alonso a few times because he didn't outqualify him once. But, you know, there's there's this expectation that they just hit the ground running. Okay, you were good in F2, you have to be good in F1. Like, there's no learning anymore, uh, at least not in the Red Bull camp. Um, but yeah, it's it's a really interesting one because you know when you look at Verstappen when he first joined Formula One he was crashing all the time, you know, we, yeah. and, and there were calls for him to to potentially be removed, but that never happened. And look what he turned into. He wasn't a, a star from the get go. Yes, he had some ridiculous pace, and we saw that potential, but he was he was reckless. Um, but but look how he's he's turned into this ridiculously consistent now driver. Uh, that wouldn't have happened had he not been given the time. So thank goodness we've got Max. Well, Max was at least allowed to 
to have a little bit of time to, to grow. And, and I'd like to see that again for, for the likes of Sonoda joining AlphaTauri. But as you say, I think AlphaTauri is a definitely a good place to start, not going uh, into Red Bull after half a season in Formula One. Right. Anyway, Red Bull conversation done and dusted. We now move on uh, to, well, this one. Uh, so Haas, they hire uh, Mick Schumacher and Nikita Mazepin. Uh, question is, how do you think they will do with two rookies in the team? It's uh, it's an interesting... Obviously, we'll get into some other things shortly. But in terms of the actual appointment of those two drivers within the team, I think it more highlighted... Well, maybe not with Mick Schumacher, but just as a, a general kind of... When you look at it from on paper, they need some money and these are two young talents with money. Yeah. It's not it's it's a worry for Haas because you do need to have um And money. that's not to take away from Mick Schumacher's <clears throat> performances, because I think Mick was, was brilliant in F two and deserves yeah. an F one seat, but at the same time to have two rookies It's a it's a worry and for they, and they want to and they want to take the team forward. Their t- their car is moving backwards towards yeah. the slowest car on the grid having two rookies that have no formula one experience for me makes absolutely no sense yeah i agree hence why the financial uh, reasoning yeah and and i agree i think for, for me mick would have been so much better better off being you know we there were there were rumors weren't they that he'd go to alfa romeo and be alongside kimi Raikkonen, and he could learn and develop alongside an experienced driver um it does make you worry like where a house gonna go you know they yeah they they may have an absolute ton of money but two rookie drivers where where's the experience coming from how do you sort of yeah rate them against each other it reminds me almost of um sauber if if you go back to looking at sauber's history they went through a couple of years where they had to put in drivers for the money and they just plummeted down the constructors title order but as soon as they had someone like Charles Leclerc they put in the car they went they started getting points again and went straight back up so it's finding that balance of yeah okay great we need money but you also need a driver to be able to get get you the points and get you kind of you know in the get you know getting great results and stuff so yeah for me it's a worry I think the two rookies thing is going to hurt them, not maybe in the way that people expect. So I think the two rookies thing is going to hurt if your loss was set up on a Friday. You've got all the experience of K-Mag and Grosjean there in the past to go, all right, well, all of my experience tells me that we should do this. Well, they don't have that experience. So they're, they're totally relying on an engineering team who, and it's a great little team, Has it really is. We've got to remember they've got the smallest headcount in, in Formula One, but they've been lost on the engineering side with experienced drivers. So remember Roman Grosjean last year constantly said, we need to go back to the old spec, the old spec, the old spec. And they argued about this time and time again. Those arguments aren't even going to happen. So the engineering team in, in one respect get a little bit of control back, but then if they get lost with the setup on a Friday they stay lost because every other every other team that we know with all of that experience they're going to be they're going to be moving forward and i think that's a that's a tough thing do you remember jensen button first year of formula one absolutely looked like he could do no wrong in 2000 going up against occasionally beating ralph schumacher who was very highly rated at the time and then second year he goes to benetton and he had no idea how to set up a bad formula one car and he just looked completely lost. He looked completely average. 
as we know with what followed, he was not. It's just very, very difficult when you go from a Formula 2 car, which is hugely impressive and generates a lot of downforce, impressive braking, and then you go to a Formula 1 steering wheel, which has options corner after corner. George Russell, all that time, we heard him on the radio to Bono. Bono, please tell me what to do, because this thing has so many options. I think when you get into the setup of a car during midweek, uh, weekend that that is where Haas could potentially struggle even more than they have in previous years uh, as for the spare parts thing that everyone keeps talking about um, K-Mag and Roman uh, found a way to you know found a way to to have a prang every once in a while um, there's undoubted speed but it's uh, it's clearly an option that's been taken knowing that there's not that much of a change into 2021 I wonder if they will... They've said multi-year deals, haven't they? So um, it's uh, two drivers with a lot of raw potential, but uh, can they extract the raw potential is the question. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it is almost like a, a little bit of a punt. Maybe they've just written off 2021 and said, right, let's get these two drivers in. Um, let's secure the, the money that's needed to run this Formula One team because Gene Haas has been dipping into his pockets for a lot of the time that... That they've been in Formula One. So I'd imagine that wanting to offset some of those losses, especially with COVID and whatnot, and Haas finishing so low in the constructors, they didn't get much uh, money from there either. Um, but but yeah, I, I feel like almost 21 is a bit of a write-off, similar to Williams. I think they're both looking to 2022. Maybe this year is just a year of learning, learning from engineers and having this money come into the team. Maybe that allows them to then keep the staff that they want and perhaps hire a few as well to, to help with the car development. That's, again, speculation, but that's my thinking of, you know, as a business, what are they trying to do? Are they trying to keep the core staff that can create the car? And and then, yes, this is a bit of a risk with these two. Um, but, yeah, we'll, we'll see. Uh, Australia, if we do turn up, has been a good track for Haas. So if they turn up and they're slowest, then they're not in for a good season. But, again, it might be 2022 in their sights. So let's quickly talk about... Uh, something that is very difficult to talk about. But uh, we'll, we'll, we'll start it with a question from Deakins8. Probably not going to be the first or last time it's asked. But what do you think Haas will do and what can they do short of firing that will satisfy everyone? This is, of course, talking about the Nikita Mazepin actions that we saw a week or two ago. I can't remember exactly when uh, on his Instagram story when he posted uh, something which was was quite vile and disgusting to see. Um, I won't go into what the actions were. I'm sure everybody knows, but uh, I've been very vocal myself um, about the We Say No to Mazepin campaign that's been going on on social media. I, for one, don't think anything will happen with what I'm saying, but I'm using my voice all the same. And seeing those actions for me personally, especially knowing uh, someone very close to me that has gone through a similar, um, well, worse, but a similar thing in the terms of what I deem as sexual harassment um, or, or abuse at least, is uh, yeah, it 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 holds a, a very dear place in my heart in the fact that I feel that he needs to be punished. I'm not saying to throw his entire career in the bin, which I think some people have jumped on the fact that I'm online bullying him and things like that. No, I can't. I can't sit by and watch Hass say we're taking this indoors, sweep it under the rug, and then that's it. He deserves some kind of punishment, whether that's race bans, whether that's something. You know, with within that time, he then goes and learns exactly what was wrong with his actions because it's not the first thing that he's done. I'm not saying it's, I, there's no evidence of, of it, that he's done anything like that before, but he's punched Calamino in the face. You know, there's things that are clearly deep rooted within him as a driver that need to change. And for fear of me going in 
for about an hour because uh, I do get quite um, pent up about this. Um, my overall opinion is Mazepin needs to have some kind of consequence for his actions. Otherwise, he will continue to do it because he's a, a billionaire's son. And, and that's it. Uh, Tommy, over to you. Yeah, something needs to happen. He, he can't just, you know, Max Verstappen got community service for pushing Ocon in Park Ferme. And this is a million times worse. He can't just, like you say, I don't want to see Haas just sweep this under the rug. And the, the the thing for them is that it's now got to the point where they cannot post anything on social media. And we, we talk about, you know, he's bringing money into the team. The, the reputation of Haas and the damage that it's doing to Haas Automotive as a brand, they've come into Formula One. And on every single post that they post now, hashtag we say no to Mazepin, in the comments on the FIA gala post, it was all that. It's not going to be forgotten. They're not going to be able to just let it go away. And that looks absolutely terrible for a Formula One team. You know, imagine if this was Red Bull, that, um, that they couldn't, that from a marketing side, they couldn't post anything about one of their drivers without getting absolute floods of these comments and stuff it's an absolute marketing nightmare really and yeah it's it's gonna it's gonna force them that they have to do something because at the end of the day sponsors and stuff are gonna look at this and go how on earth like we don't want to be associated with this with this team when every single comment all these people are calling you know for for him to be fired and yeah something needs to happen because it's just it's not right he needs to be like you say he needs educating and being you know some kind of punishment for his actions not not just okay get in the formula one car now you have everything you want because you're rich like that that should not be that should not be right yeah, I completely agree. I think you've both said it. I completely agree that the disciplinary process should be explained in public if that is legally possible for Haas to do. Because I think that in the past it would all be done behind closed doors, but the incident didn't happen behind closed doors. So I think that they should deal with it publicly. They should explain their working, if you like, and they should say, we have taken these actions, if indeed they do take any actions, we have taken these actions for this reason. Uh, I think the reaction on social media has been um, as strange as this sounds. The reaction, the standard setting that this is unacceptable, this will not be tolerated. You know, if you're a Formula One driver, you must now be this caliber on and off the track. I think that has been um, as if you go back, I don't think that that reaction would have happened as vociferously at the very start of social media. So I think that the, the progress of standards demanded is incredibly high. And I think Hash should acknowledge that by explaining their disciplinary process, if indeed uh, they take any action at all at the end of this. Indeed. Um, and one final thing, you know, we have this We Race As One campaign. Um, I think if if this is all done privately and we see Mazepin on the grid and there's absolutely no kind of reasoning or explanation given, then that just puts the whole campaign in my eyes uh, into question um, because the people deserve an answer, to be honest. The amount of messages, uh, and I put this out on my Twitter, the amount of messages I've had after being so vocal about it, about 
so many male and female fans messaging me saying, well, the sport that I love, the safe place that I go to to watch this has now been tainted. You know, I can't watch Formula One knowing that he's going to be on the grid the same way. You know, people that haven't experienced it, people that haven't seen the effects that this kind of action can have, they they won't understand. You won't understand. For me personally, before I knew this specific person, I didn't understand fully. But now I completely and under, completely get it. And it's it's just it's very difficult to see. And, and, and as you say, Alex, the amount of people that have got behind this show that this isn't a small time thing. This is a, a blanket statement from Formula One fans pretty much saying this isn't good enough we can't see and it's 2020 it's changed as you say at the start of social media we wouldn't have had this rally because not a lot of people were on social media and this wouldn't have been posted because it was the fact that he put it on his own instagram story which although there's d- lots of denies of this she posted that he put po- there's so many holes in the story which frustrate fans even more it's not like it's just been okay i i messed up here you know, and there was a, a sincere apology. There was none of that. It deleted, it holes it deleted in each, his apology each story. as well. <laughs> yeah, all of his tweets are deleted. Yeah, I'm rambling, so I'm not probably not making much sense. But as you can see, it means a lot to me. And I hope that something happens. As I say, I'm not trying to end his career. I want him to learn to change and to 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 be used as an example in a lot of ways. Because otherwise, this will just keep happening again and again and again, whether online or offline. Um, anyway, right, we move on. Ricardo moves to McLaren. <laughs> Let's talk about something that is very exciting for 2021, uh, which is, to be fair, a lot of people are sad that Sainz and Norris not not together again. But if there was anybody to fill the shoes to create another bromance, it's Daniel Ricardo and Lando Norris. They've had an incredible press conference moment that's gone down in Formula One history uh, <laughs> about uh, Lando Norris growing pubes. Um, but overall... <laughs> Daniel Ricciardo moving to McLaren is a very exciting prospect. I'm a little bit concerned for Lando Norris because I rate I rate Daniel Ricciardo very highly and I think he will hit the ground running at McLaren. He wants to win a world title. He knows he hasn't got endless years left. He's been in Formula 1 for quite a long time. He will want to be number 1 at that team very quickly and he's not moving there for bants. He's moving there to win a world title. Yeah, for me this is the I, th- I think this is the best move for from a driver's perspective that he gets to go into a team that are clearly on the up. You know, Ricardo for me is the perfect driver to join McLaren. He brings that fun personality. M- McLaren the perfect example that you know I'm not I'm not blaming this all on Fernando Alonso. There was obviously the Honda situation as well. It was a very toxic environment. We spoke on the last podcast about, you know, getting slated in the press because they're giving bloody Freddos out as a Christmas present to give the, <laughs> make them happy and stuff. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and now McLaren just seem to be this happy team, loving what they do, and that seems to be, bring the best out of them. And if you think of any driver on the grid that's going to do that, you think it's Daniel Ricciardo. He's, he's one of those people that... He will demand results, but not in the same way a Fernando Alonso will demand results where he would happily tear the team down if they're not going to give him a world championship winning car. Whereas Daniel Ricciardo, like you say, I can see him working so well with that team. The Lando-Norris partnership, I think, is going to work really well. But at the same time, yeah, Lando is is a bit... It's interesting to... It's going to be interesting to see how they stack up against each other. 
Daniel Ricardo would not make you work New Year's Day in a wind tunnel. All right, that is, and we will, and we will see what approach uh, works out. Fernando, how has he even been given the plan for? Hold on a minute. What, what's going on, guys? What's going on? There's a uh, you're not working on New Year's Day. Who's shown him that information? Give the guy, give the guys at Alpine a chance. Anyway, aside from Fernando, fun. Uh, Daniel Ricardo at McLaren. That is just. It was great. It was announced a huge conviction for him to go early to respond to the Carlos Sainz move. I think he's hugely impressed. He's not the only one now, but I think he knew from before that Andreas Seidel was a superb organiser of motorsport talent. And I think he's bought into that enormously. Um, He's seen off Hülkenberg. He's seen off Ocon. He's now got to deal with a driver at a different stage of the career. Big year for Lando Norris, isn't it? Huge year. Because if he's close to Daniel Ricciardo, that's a multiple race winner that he's proven he can go toe-to-toe with. Um, Good step forward for Lando this year. But can he do it at every single uh, race of the year? That's that's the that's the question hanging over. Good at the start, good at the finish. It's an exhausting schedule this year. Can he be consistent all the time? And if he can be up against Daniel Ricciardo, his stock will will rise. If they can work together as well as Sainz and and Norris have, then McLaren operationally they've been superb because they essentially mugged uh, two Formula One teams to get to to get to third. I mean, at the start of the season, I think they would have been pretty worried they were going to be in sixth place. To get to third, they're operationally firing, and now they've got a great driver pairing. I'm looking forward to seeing what they can do with Mercedes power in the back, of course. I know. Yeah, Lando said he would have got pole uh, in Abu Dhabi had it been for a Mercedes <laughs> engine in the back of that car. So we'll see if that uh, turns into some sort of realisation in 2021. RPA Liv says, do you think Ricardo will help McLaren move forward being a race winner and having insight on Renault? We've kind of touched on the fact he is a race winner. He's got a huge amount of experience. He is the perfect package, as Tommy says. And I don't think we need to say much more about it. We're, we're all big fans of Daniel Ricardo, it seems. And, and I think as Alex says, it's a big year for Lando Norris. He has to be within a couple of tenths of Daniel Ricciardo, especially being the one that is the McLaren veteran of the two. You know, he's younger, but he's the one that knows the outfit the best. Uh, and I would expect Lando to be as quick as Ricardo, especially in the first few races of the season. But let's see. There's so much to look forward to. I am buzzing for 2021. I, I kind of felt at the end of the season, God, I need a break. It's been so many races. Now I'm ready again. Come on, let's have it. It's not even 2021 yet. Uh, right. Carlos signs to Ferrari. That was announced quite a while ago, but um, that whole debacle was very odd with uh, Sebastian Vettel not being told and blah, 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 blah. And this, that, well, not being told, but not giving an option to, to stay as a four-time world champion. But they, you know, Ferrari have decided to put their eggs in two very young baskets. And uh, they believe that Carlos Sainz is, is one of them. I, whether or not that Ferrari just cost-cutting a little bit and just getting signs in uh, after what has been a very difficult year. Uh, that's one of my theories. Uh, get my tinfoil hat on. But I think it's a very exciting move anyway. Carlos Sainz has been as good as Lando Norris, if not a tiny bit better, in my opinion, over the course of the season. Um, he, of course, nearly won in Monza. He had an amazing um, start to Mugello. Uh, was Mugello, wasn't it? No, Port- Portugal. 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 Yeah, Portimao, Portugal. sorry. Portimao. Yeah, I, I literally, uh, the names confuse me. Anyway, uh, but yeah, he he had some really star performances, uh, did Carlos Sainz. And I think that similar to Sergio Perez, he'll see this as a really good opportunity. And I don't think he's got much to lose. If Ferrari are rubbish next year, I think that works in his favour. He gets to know the team. He gets to kind of learn how they work, how the car works. 
what they're developing with Charles Leclerc, you know, all that sort of stuff. I think Carlos Sainz would rather, maybe not when he's asked, but I think he would rather have a midfield Ferrari to get used to, to it for a year, get used to the fact, my God, I'm driving a Ferrari, which must be rather daunting uh, for a lot of Formula One drivers. And probably one of the reasons why Carlos was like, yeah, I'm going to Ferrari. It's a, it's a boyhood dream. But yeah, I'm, I'm very excited for Carlos Sainz going to Ferrari. I think he'll be pretty much there with Charles Leclerc, in my opinion. Yeah, so do I. I think, for me, I think Charles Leclerc will be the number one there. I don't think in the same sense that of a Oh, without a doubt. They've signed a 57-year yeah. contract yeah, with them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is the lineup for me that I think is going to be the have the most potential for fireworks. I would be amazed if they, if they don't collide, they at least have one moment where they're wheel banging and they're a bit annoyed with each other and they have to sort of apologise. Because I think they're both amazing you know amazing drivers and on the same pace did you see though a bit of a strange one for science that in the on his very first day at ferrari bonotto was mentioning that mick they have plans to put mick schumacher in the car in 2023 which is a bit like (laughs) is that the kind of thing you want to hear on your first day that like well you've got two years uh because we're gonna get rid of you um that they mentioned that so to be fair that's nothing compared to red bull that he's he's uh, experienced yeah true but at the same time i'm still i'm still not sure on this one because i feel like science has not thrown away you know you're looking at danny rick at mclaren it's such a good opportunity for him to sort of be the man and i think science has been one of the most impressive drivers of the year. He was the most impressive driver of the year last year, the, the yeah, the year before. It could have been the team he could have built around him and gone on the up, whereas instead, yes, there's the lure of Ferrari, but he's going against up against Charles Leclerc, which is not going to be easy. <laughs> and the team was sixth in the constructors and, as yeah, well, exactly. not forgetting. Yeah, exactly. So it's yeah. I'm not I'm not convinced it's the greatest move for science. Well, Ferrari's advantage has always come from the fact their advantage in the past used to be that they uh, could test all day and all night. And their advantage in recent years has been that they have a ridiculous budget. Well, neither of those things exist in 2022. So that's a that's a tiny problem for him. Um, Are they going to be able to restructure? Yeah, I would think so. Uh, Otherwise, they will bring in someone who can restructure. But for signs, two year deal uh, if Mick Schumacher is on front-running pace, that that is an issue for him because they seem desperate, absolutely desperate to put Mick Schumacher in that car at some point. He's already tested for them, of course. Um, it will be interesting to see what we get. I honestly don't know. I honestly don't know. I think he will struggle in qualifying because I think uh, Charles Leclerc took a real step forward the, uh, this year that would have been um, slightly more obvious if he'd if he'd been at the front. Uh, but the point of do you want an average Ferrari could be helpful, couldn't it? Because if he if he's got to try and bridge that pace gap to a man who didn't take very long to make Ferrari his own, did he? Charles Leclerc comes in and everyone's like, it's a political beast. You're going to struggle to get all the mechanics around you. And he's like, I have won you all over immediately and I'm going past <laughs> Sebastian Vettel in Bahrain. Thanks very much. Goodbye. Yeah. Right. It should have been a win and that sea change was pretty quick. Um Sainz has got to deal with that. So he's got to deal with the culture. He's got to try and win people over and convince people, maybe even himself, that it's a two-driver approach, not a Charles and other drop-in driver approach. 
Um, and then the, the the regulations, I think the regulations are swinging far more to a team like McLaren than a, than a huge outfit like Ferrari. Um, so if he has a car capable of uh, podiums occasionally and he puts five great results together like Charles Leclerc did this year, I think he will be pretty satisfied with that. Um, Racecraft wise, I think Carlos is a is a tiny bit underrated. I think in the races, what he's done this year was absolutely fantastic. Um, he's obviously been out qualified two years in a row in the head to head with with Lando, which I don't think Lando gets enough credit for either. But um, very very tall task. Um, I think probably the hardest task for any driver on the grid next year. That was definitely Alex Albon going into this season. I think that's Carlos Sainz going into twenty twenty one. Yes, good point. Um, with it being a midfield car as well, there's less spotlight, isn't there? You know, Carlos Sainz can... If, if Sainz is finishing ninth and Leclerc's finishing seventh, there's not going to be, oh, my God, Carlos Sainz, has he got the minerals to stay at Ferrari? Blah, blah, blah. You know, all this stuff. But if they're fighting for first and second and Leclerc's beating them by 10 seconds, there's so much more pressure. So, yeah, I feel like Sainz wouldn't be too bothered. Uh, I bet he'll be crying into his massive paycheck as well, I'm sure. It's not, <laughs> not the worst uh, situation to be in. And all that Ferrari overalls, all the free gear... Lovely. Uh, but anyway, a question which uh, we've kind of covered, but we'll cover it anyway. You're done, no 69. With both Leclerc and Sainz being young competitive drivers that have performed very well in the 2020 season, who will be Ferrari's number one? Charles Leclerc. There you go. Moving on. Right. So um, let's talk about Sebastian Vettel, the man that obviously moved from Ferrari, going to Aston Martin, that were obviously formerly Racing Point. Still weird that Racing Point, I'm going to be on the grid and it's Aston Martin. It's just all change. But uh, Sebastian Vettel moving there. Big question marks and talking point about how Seb Vettel is going to perform at this new outfit against Lance Stroll, who we all know, uh, his his father is the owner of the team. Um, Sebastian Vettel's coming off probably one of the worst seasons of his career in terms of teammate comparisons. Obviously, there's a lot of conversation about oh, his car wasn't this, that and the other. He had three wheels. He didn't have a steering wheel. You know, all this stuff that, you know, that the Ferrari were hindering his performance. I mean, that in itself, that one is just ridiculous. Why would Ferrari go, you know what, Seb Vettel? No, we're going to give you a shit car. We're going to finish sixth in the constructors and get millions less uh, for future years. Yeah, yeah, solid point, guys. But apart from that, I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't doubt that Charles Leclerc has been forming the team a little bit more at Ferrari because that's their, their future. Vettel isn't their future. Um, but with Aston Martin, I think Seb Vettel has a great opportunity to, to rejuvenate himself. I'm still a little bit doubtful as to whether he will. I think that Stroll is, when Stroll actually decides to turn up and put some sort of effort into a Grand Prix, he's actually very good. Stroll doesn't do that for 20 whatever races a year. That's what we've seen. But, you know, before he crashed out um, at Portimao, wasn't it? He was fourth in the to championship. The championship, was it? Portimao? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, fourth in the championship. Um, or was it Mugello? It was Mugello. He crashed Mugello, 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 Mugello. Yeah, it was Mugello. Fourth, yeah. God, Tom, Tommy, don't say yeah when I'm wrong. Uh, but, yeah, <laughs> yeah so when he crashed in Mugello, um, yeah, he was fourth in the championship. So... There was clear great performances from Stroll. Whether he can do that over a season and beat Vettel, I think Vettel has to destroy Stroll in order to get his uh, his kind of mojo and the fans believing, yeah, Seb's back. Yeah. V- Vettel, for me, I, I'm sure, and I'm sure a lot of his fans will agree with this, they hope that it's a 2015, which for me was such an underrated season from Sebastian Vettel. He joined Ferrari after 
getting trounced by Ricardo, very similar to what happened with Leclerc. And he joined that team and he was just on it straight away. He, he, I think he won his second or third race with them. He almost beat Rosberg to second in the title when that Mercedes was even quicker and had even more of an advantage than it does now. And he was absolutely amazing. He's going to... Everyone's, you know, hoping that that would be the same, the same thing. And the fact that he's going to be arguably driving this year's Mercedes, if you want to call it that, um, with what r- the Racing Point car is. I know people banter about it. But, Come you know, on, Tommy. Great, it's a great car. Come on, li- leave that meme alone. Come on. <laughs> but okay, so for Racing Point, for me, Racing Point had the third fastest car that year. No doubt Perez did amazing things in it, but I think it was quicker than McLaren. It's quicker than Renault. For me, Sebastian Vettel has to be aiming for fifth in the championship. And that that needs to be his target for me. For, you know, a four-time world champion driving car, he needs to be best of the rest behind Mercedes and the Red Bulls. Yeah, I think this will... I think if it's a difficult start for Sebastian Vettel, I'd be surprised if he went beyond this year in Formula One, no matter what he's signed. I don't think he's going to stick around if he doesn't believe that he's incapable of matching the very best. I think right now he believes that he has he had a Ferrari problem, whether they had stopped believing in him, whether he was getting uh whether he was getting the updates. It basically he has parked that. He has a Mark Webber said a lot that he feels that Sebastian will respond to being back in a British Formula One team environment. How many times did we hear Seb on the radio second guessing the strategy? It never went away. Well, it is it is harder to drive and manage. Um, And in the end, it it became it became part of the deal, didn't it? It became part of the radio chatter that he was almost consulted every single time. Um, And he was clearly having to do that. I think Sebastian Vettel in time will move into management i wouldn't i just can't see him wandering away from formula one like some other drivers might i think he will stick around and i think he'll be uh, involved in formula one for a very long time he's clearly got an intellect capable of, of, of running a team and i think he will pivot to that fairly quickly if he doesn't have the pace to deliver in a in a new environment and i think we'll get that answer by the middle of the year to be honest Interesting stuff. So let's see. Leon LeFox says, can Vettel get back his old form? Does Aston Martin have chances for third place in the constructors? Who knows? And yes, that's that's the target. Tommy set it. I'm sure uh, Vettel was watching this podcast and he's written down what uh, Tommy, the WTF1 founder's uh, yep. predictions are for him. So uh, that'll Sebastian, be in the back of his mind. Sebastian Vettel, that well-known social media user. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> People, people lost their minds when they saw like a wall of his kitchen, didn't they, or something <laughs> once. But, um, there we go. Uh, we move on. Another world champion, Fernando Alonso. It, it's just, for me, I just find it very weird that Fernando Alonso is just popping back to Formula One for a couple of years. It just feels very strange, uh, especially because he's not really hyping it up either. He's just kind of like, yeah, well, I mean, it's going to take me a few races to get, you know, back up to speed and you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes. And it, I don't know. It's just a very, it's it's like an older, it is an older Fernando Alonso just returning. A bit like Michael Schumacher. He's trying not to hype up his own return to then, obviously in the back of his mind, absolutely destroy Ocon. He, he's a savage competitor. We know this. Fernando's not popping back just for banter. He's here to, to beat Ocon, to, to, 
get the stranglehold of Renault under his grasp again. But it's it is quite cool. I know a lot of people were a little bit disappointed that Guanyu Joe didn't get an opportunity. Uh, although Joe didn't have a particularly good Formula Two season, if you look at it as a whole. Um, and I think actually the Renault Academy came out and said about their drivers that they basically just didn't perform well enough for them to even uh, think about them keeping them, which was which is a bit savage. But I guess that's what driver academies are. They are savage to get the, the very best. And uh, if they can't take the pressure in Formula 2, Formula 3, etc., then they definitely can't take it in Formula 1. Um, but Fernando Alonso stacking up against Ocon. He's got to beat Ocon next year. It doesn't matter if he's returning or not. Uh, we've already seen with Ricardo that he's pretty much... Quite surprisingly beaten Ocon nearly every single race weekend. I expected a little bit more from Esteban. Uh, I think towards the end of the season, he was starting to pick it up a bit more. But for me, Alonso needs to at least be on the pace with Ocon in the first few races and then take over and, and continue to be quicker. That's that's how I see it. If he's if he's washed up, then he'll get beaten by Ocon. This is all speculation. This whole thing, is no, there's no facts being spoken here. We're tuning in for our opinion, and there it is. Yeah. I'm I'm actually really excited now for Alonso to be back. I I'm happy to say that I was wrong. I I thought that Renault should promote a young driver and it was their big opportunity to, to do that, but at the end of the day, Guanyu Joe and Lungard were just not impressive enough in Formula Two um to to essentially promote them up up to the team, as far as I'm concerned anyway. Um so I don't blame them now for picking Alonso at all. And it's going to be really exciting to see because Renault or Alpine, as it will be next year, they are properly in the mix now. It seems too, almost too close to call some races between them, uh, Racing Point, Aston Martin, as they'll be, um, and uh, McLaren. So, yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see. I guess probably the most concerned is going to be Ocon because... You know, highly rated young driver. You mentioned him before, Matt. Stoffel van Dorn was a highly rated young driver, and Alonso absolutely ended his career by just dominating him in qualifying in every single race. And I've got to say, like, however much I rate Ocon and think he is a really good driver and just needed to get on top of that Renault, and he seemed like he was improving. <laughs> the last thing Ocon wanted when he was improving uh, and getting on Danny Rick's pace is to have Fernando Alonso as teammate. Can't think of yeah, anything that else. Is, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, that's just a worst case scenario for him because at least Daniel Ricciardo beats you with a smile. Um, <laughs> you know, Fernando Alonso beats you with a whitewash if he's on form. I, I don't know. He's pushing it, isn't he? He's, 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 it's a late in the day return for him. Um, he's been he's been away. He's, uh, he's competing in other races. He's come back. He clearly believes that uh, Alpine is going to be capable of taking him to the podium. I think if it there wasn't a sniff of a podium, I don't think he'd be back. So he's already seen uh, both drivers already do that this year. So he's on the right course. Uh, I hope it's not a diminished return. I think that would be such a shame because everyone's talent's going to to fade. The the, the raw skill eventually is gonna is gonna fall away. That happens with Fernando Alonso. It's just. It would just be so disappointing and and Alpine would have gone down the wrong direction in a driver choice when they've got through so many as well. Uh, point on Ocon, I think he really suffered from having that year out. I think 
uh, it affects other drivers more than other than others. But I think he really suffered from the late nights, the all day simulator sessions, being the cutaway in the back of the garage. Like Toto Wolff is here and Ocon's here looking, trying to stay interested when he's been up till five in the morning, just going around in the simulator. I think it took him until the Portuguese Grand Prix to really discover the, the race form that we'd seen when he was with, with Force India. But it's... Oh, it's such a tough task to go up against Fernando Alonso. If it's even a 90% Fernando Alonso compared to what we saw in the past, it's it's almost impossible to see uh, Ocon uh, continuing there. And um, that would be a real shame. The Van Dorn example is, is pretty pertinent. Um, Van Dorn was just wrong place, wrong time and had buckets of talent. And it was a shame he couldn't show it a couple of weeks ago in, in Bahrain. But uh, Fernando Alonso, the thing that most interests me about Fernando... Can he come back in a different key? Does Fernando exist in any other form than demanding and the volume turned up to 11? Because I'd be fascinated to see if he if he can. I think there's one version of Fernando Alonso. I think it's commit or get out. And uh, I think Alpina, you know... Uh, join, join or or leave. I think is going to be the going to be the mantra for the people that he'll get around, and uh, they will either get on board with that. They've worked with him in the past, or or they will go. That's an old school approach that doesn't work in twenty twenty one, and that will define. Uh, I think Renault's factory effort in, in Formula One, whether it's going to work or whether it's going to be a bit of a midfield at best effort. Yeah, one man can carry the entire morale of a team uh, with uh, Fernando Alonso at the helm. And I think, um, yeah, in my opinion, he'll just he'll strut around, walk around the factory. Hey, how you doing? Yeah, hey, how you doing? You know, and as soon as he gets to testing, turns one wheel that he doesn't like, turns one corner, sorry, he doesn't like, that's it. He'll be on the radio. GP7 engine. Wow, my God, what the hell is this front wing? You know, as you said, I, a leopard doesn't change its spots, in my opinion. And I don't think that this will be any different. I think Fernando Alonso... Is, is savage. He's just full-blown savage. That's the way he won two world championships and that's sometimes the way a Formula 1 team likes to be worked. I don't think in 2020 that that's a, how a Formula 1 team likes to be managed and being shouted at and saying that what you've, the work you've done is, is crap. Uh, but yeah, I not think publicly Lando... anyway. That's the no, thing. No, no, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, the, the public aspect of the of the time with McLaren, I just found it really, really confusing. Because you imagine any office job, and you had someone in their mid thirties publicly shouting across the office, "GP two engine, the GP two engine yet again, Gary, you've turned in rubbish work." You'd be astonished if you saw that in real life. So I hope he drops that aspect of it, and I hope that we. I hope that we just see his pure driving talent because that is still something to get excited about in 2021. In any other situation, that's an HR complaint. Yeah, that's, that's sat a, down you know. with HR. Fernando said this. <laughs> okay, well you're getting reprimanded. Like, it's just crazy. But yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting. I some points I did really like Fernando Alonso for the memes, but then you kind of also like, wow, well, you kind of just want him to perform now. Um, so there's a there's definitely a, a line there for for Alonso. Are we going to say something, Tommy, or shall I move on? Well, I guess it's the perfect example now that we've seen Daniel Ricciardo in that Renault, and they've seemed to have made quite a few positive steps. And you know, he's not publicly slated him. He could have quite easily jumped into the uh, Renault from the Red Bull and go, oh my god, this car is dreadful. You know, and and done that, but they've slowly sort of been rising up, and they seem to be doing a lot better. You know, he's gotten back on the podium, which you know, I guess you could argue is thanks Ferrari for just dropping off completely and allowing other teams to get those podium spots. But back on the podium, now now we see, does Alonso 
take them to that next step or do they just completely implode and Fall all the hard, hard work gets yeah. down the drain so we shall see yeah it's it's a it's going to be an interesting one for sure really excited to see how that all unfolds i really hope as well from a shumi fanboy it isn't the same for alonso it was extremely hard to watch Shumi come back and not be that good. There's no way and... Alonso's not being good, though. Sure, I cannot, I cannot see. What? And you're telling me Michael Schumacher? Yeah, but when Michael he, Schumacher when he returned... was a lot more like rusty, and do you know what I mean? Like he hadn't been driving a lot in his break, and it was a, a longer break. Whereas Fernando Alonso has been doing, you know, he jumps straight into an indie car and does well and jumps into whatever and does that's well that's just driving in circles mate i don't know what you're on about <laughs> uh, but yeah it's, it, i'm just saying i hope it's not like that sorry alex right number one take that back about indie yeah number two <laughs> never slate indie. <laughs> indie number yeah number two uh take that back about indie <laughs> I didn't mean it. It was tongue in cheek. I very much like Indy, but still going around in circles. Finally, who will do best? Let's talk about right predictions. Uh, Megan Wood says all these new driver shuffles are going to be pretty exciting next season. Who do you think will perform best with their new team? I'm going to say Daniel Ricciardo. Tommy Hart says Sebastian Vettel. Head says Daniel Ricciardo. Oh, we're doing heart and head now, are we? <laughs> Toes, hands. Knees say... Uh, Alex? Yeah. I'm going to go for Yuki Tsunoda. I think he's going to be terrific in that Alpha Tauri. Such a good team to get a baseline pace, and I think he will He will learn so much there. I think he'll be rapid. But not too good that he beats Gasly, gets promoted, and then ends his career alongside Max. Poor start <laughs> of the year. A lot of mechanical <laughs> failures early on, and then nothing, yeah. but, nothing yeah. but you know searing performances yeah. in the second half of the year. <laughs> Well, there we go. We've uh, got through over an hour of just chatting absolute speculation, but that's the reason you tune in. There was not one fact dropped in this entire... No, there was. But um, it's been brilliant, Alex, to have you on board. Tommy, of course, I'm I'm not going to thank you. You're always here. But Alex, it's been brilliant for you to to come on board and and have a chat with us, mate. I hope it's not the last time. Uh, Congrats again. I know I've said it many times. I'm your biggest fan. But on the Channel 4 job, for people that didn't know, Alex Jakes, Channel 4 Formula 1 commentator from next season. Um, it hasn't gone to his head yet, but uh, I imagine if he, if I invite him to another podcast and he says no, I'll be immediately using that as ammo. But uh, Alex, uh, just quickly on that, are you are you excited to, to 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 kind of take this next step in your career and and you know what what are you expecting from it? Really looking forward to it. It is uh, big shoes to fill. Can't wait to give it a go. Can't wait to pick up the microphone and and continue doing it the same way that I've done before with all of the excitement and all of the passion for my for my favorite sport it's a I won't lie to you guys it's a bit surreal to get the opportunity to do it on British TV I've been lucky enough to be doing F1 to on the PLC to an international audience and I will miss that team enormously but the you know I, I flicked through the channels as a kid and found Formula One by accident on ITV and the chance to then do it on terrestrial TV all these years later I know how cool that job is. I know the responsibility of that. And I'm just going to work so hard to to try and justify the faith put in me. So I, I really can't wait. It's going to be very, very cool. 
So excited, uh, mate. I think the first time we met was you overhearing me saying that I'm your biggest fan. So uh, you, you know that... Yeah, something about my ears. When, someone, when someone's positive, I'm like, hello. <laughs> hello to you. Praise. Bring it on. No. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's been great working with you this year, Matt, on the, uh, on the esports. And we basically saw we went from not knowing each other at all to hanging out nearly every other week. So it's been, <laughs> it's been a right laugh. Yeah, not just esports as well, obviously on the PLC and uh, Formula 2, which was just a crazy, ridiculous, weird time. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's been awesome, mate. And uh, Tommy, I'm not going to end the podcast without saying final thoughts. Bring on 2021. <laughs> I can't I can't wait. I don't know if you know this, yeah. Alex, but he absolutely despises oh, it. throwing to him <laughs> he loves saying to, final he thoughts. He loves to just throw it on me and I'm like, I've not had any final thoughts. I've said Come on, em- Tommy, I've what's your final thoughts? That- um, Come final, on, Tommy. Profound, profound yeah. final thoughts. We're rooting for you. Final thoughts. Um, the season, yeah, going into next season, we've it's quite similar with the rule changes and stuff. Like, there's not much going on there, but the fact that we've got this musical chairs situation with drivers or swapping, I I cannot wait for it. It's going to be so fascinating. It just adds so many more storylines to what is already just an awesome season. So, very very excited. Love it. Well, thank you to Alex. Thank you to Tommy. And uh, we'll see you next time for another WTF1 podcast, which will be the end of season review. And uh, there'll be an internet's best reactions as well at some point for the whole season coming out as well. So look forward to that. And that is it. Thank you so much. I'm going to wave to Alex and Tommy this time. I'm, I'm waving. This is what we do. We wave to each other. So you have to pretend yeah. you know which box yeah. we're in, Alex. Alex, oh. is gonna to, be, like, Alex needs to wave up. Like, <laughs> <looking> <laughs> There you go. And he's down there. (laughs) Lovely. All right. Bye-bye.